Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture reading today is Genesis 18, verses 1 through 14. Now the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. He said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. And he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them. And he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Sarah and Abraham were old, advanced in age, Sarah being past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. In chapter 18, we discover the sixth appearance of God to Abraham. If you remember from our study of Genesis chapter 17, we discovered that God rewards faith with greater visits of his presence in our lives. This is the joy of intimacy with God. The more we love and obey him, the greater friendship develops between the believer and his Lord. In these verses, we see God visiting Abraham and Abraham providing for him. God giving to Abraham and Abraham receiving from him. God communicating with Abraham and Abraham answering back to God. God listening to Abraham and Abraham interceding with him. God visits, gives, communicates, and listens. Abraham provides, receives, answers, and intercedes. All of these are signs of an interactive love relationship with God. 
It is evidence of a man's whole inner being focused upon constant companionship with God. These are the marks of growing intimacy between Abraham and God. As chapter 18 begins, we notice a contrast between the visit of God to Abraham in the heat of the day and the darkness and gloom of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 19 at night. Chapters 18 and 19 form a whole, unified narrative in three parts. The appearing of the Lord to Abraham, Abraham interceding with God on behalf of Lot, and Lot's rescue by God from Sodom. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. The word Mamre in Latin means vision or sharpness of sight. The place where God can come and enjoy an intimate meal is in a pure heart that is cleansed and able to see God and enjoy his presence. Abraham delighted in God and ran to meet him. We only delight in God when we truly love him and are walking in repentance before him. Notice that when Abraham saw the Lord, he immediately bowed himself low to the earth and worshipped him. Abraham recognized that one of these three men was the Lord himself, so he gave honor to the three but worship to the one. In this we see the idea of the Trinity portrayed, for although Abraham saw three persons, he adored one. The Lord Jesus said in John 8:56 that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham saw the day of the Lord Jesus because he recognized in the three men the mystery of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three persons yet one God. And it was to the Lord Jesus that he bowed and worshipped as God in the flesh, incarnate for our salvation. The three measures of fine wheat that Abraham instructs Sarah to prepare also represent the three persons of the Trinity, all equal in nature and receiving the same adoration and worship. Then notice that Abraham ran to prepare a feast for his guests. He had an eagerness and urgency to serve the Lord. Nothing was done leisurely or casually. This was not only an example of warm hospitality to strangers, but has a deeper spiritual significance. Eating together and even the host's insistence on standing until the guests are finished is a sign of intimate friendship and fellowship. When God was ready to fulfill the promise he had made to Abraham, he came in person and ate in Abraham's tent. Then what is the meaning of the tender and choice calf to be slaughtered for the guests in verse 7? The most tender and good person in the world was the one who humbled himself to death and laid down his life for his friends. The Lord Jesus is the fatted calf, which the Father killed in order to save a world that was lost in darkness. He sacrificed himself on the cross for all who will trust in him and believe in his death for them. After the meal was over, the Lord said in verse 10, I will return to you at this time next year, 
and Sarah your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door and heard him speak this promise. She laughed in her heart, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure my Lord being old also? Sarah was persisting in unbelief in God's ability to do what he had promised because of the human impossibility of becoming pregnant at her age. But God responded with the wonderful words, Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Oh, listening friends, this word is the promise of God for each of us. Whatever your circumstances, God is able. Nothing is too difficult for the one who raised the dead, who opened the eyes of the blind and cleansed the leper. God is all-powerful. Trust in him. Lean hard upon him and wait for him to fulfill his promises. In verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? But Sarah denied it because she was afraid. She knew that God saw the doubt and mistrust in the depths of her heart. Fear is always in competition with faith. It is fear that causes us to mistrust the Lord or even to deny him under pressure. And the Lord said, No, Sarah, but you did indeed laugh. Sarah was still struggling with doubt and unbelief. This was a call to believe the impossible. Often we allow doubts about something being humanly improbable or impossible to overpower our confidence in God's promises. We must continually remember who God is and that His power is unlimited, far beyond the humanly possible or practical. Sarah's silence at the rebuke of the Lord was evidence of her conviction, and her conception and bearing of Isaac was proof of her repentance and forgiveness. In verse 16 to 33, we come to the second part of our narrative where Abraham walks with God to a place where they look down upon the city of Sodom. Abraham and God are in fellowship together. The Lord knew Abraham because Abraham knew the Lord. In this relationship of friendship and intimacy, the Lord said to himself, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? I have called Abraham to command his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing justice and righteousness. The Lord tells Abraham what he is about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah because Abraham, as the head of the people of God, must explain to the people of his day the significance of Sodom's punishment. If Abraham teaches his family the ways of God, they will walk in the path of righteousness and not be overtaken by the same judgment. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah are a permanent sign to the people of God of the terrible wages of unrestrained sin. This is the way God deals with the sins of mankind. Sin accumulates over time. Once a people or nation have sinned to the fullest extent, their sins require God's judgment. Verse 20 says, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great and their sin exceedingly grave. 
God hears the cries of sinners coming from earth to heaven, and when that cry reaches its fullest extent, then God must send his judgment upon it. God's government of the world is always just. His judgments are well weighed and perfectly informed. Abraham needs to learn the lesson that when man's iniquity has reached its full extent, no amount of intercession can avert judgment and punishment upon sin. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of the sin of unrestrained and particularly loathsome homosexuality. The sin of Sodom was shameless, violent, and unyielding. There is a sobering lesson to be learned here. God observes the wickedness of great cities, and when the people in those cities commit grievous, heinous wickedness, they are doomed to judgment. Verse 23 says, And Abraham came near to the Lord and said, Wilt thou indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? The verb came near means not physically, but spiritually, as a pious turning of the mind and heart to God. Psalm 73, 28 says, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. And Hebrews 10, 22 says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. As Abraham draws near to the Lord, his heart overflows with prayer of intercession. Notice that our relationship with God is a two-way interaction. God speaks and we listen and respond. God told Abraham what he was about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, and now he waited for Abraham's response. Abraham's response was to intercede to the Lord that God would do justly and not destroy the wicked city for the sake of the righteous living in it. Abraham is concerned not only for Lot and his wife, but for the whole city enslaved by wickedness and sin. The prayer of Abraham is the first recorded prayer in the Old Testament, and it reveals his holy and righteous character. Abraham prays with boldness, perseverance, and generosity. He prays with humility and profound reverence for the Lord. He prays with a concern for all of the wicked in the cities and not only for his relatives. You are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. Oswald Chambers, the great devotional writer, says, Your part in intercessory prayer is to utilize the circumstances God puts you in and the common sense people he puts you amongst by his providence to bring them before God's throne and give the Spirit in you a chance to intercede for them. In this way, God is going to sweep the whole world with his saints. One wise man puts it this way, 
In this age of inattentiveness, distractions in prayer are difficult to overcome. Instead, we fall into a craving for perk, power, and position, all of which betray the heart and cause us to lose interest in prayer. God is giving us a chance to meet Him in so many wonderful ways. To be bored and inattentive in prayer is pure madness. Abraham's prayer to God is far from being bored and inattentive. He is focused and vigorous in seeking God. His prayer to the Lord is sometimes considered a bargaining or haggling with God. It is probably better to see this prayer as a humble exploring or feeling forward in faith on behalf of others. Abraham doesn't shut his eyes to the sins of the Sodomites, as many would have done, but stirs himself up to seek the Lord and pray for them. In continuing to reduce the number of righteous on which the salvation of Sodom depended, Abraham was demonstrating a true wrestling with God in prayer that is commendable for all believers. O Lord, said Abraham, what if you find 50, 40, 30, 20, or even 10 righteous people? Will you spare the city on account of only 10? And God answers in verse 32, For the sake of only 10, I will not destroy it. God is so merciful and loving that he finds a way to restrain his righteous judgment over a majority of wicked men only for the sake of a handful of righteous. There was not found in Sodom even ten righteous men who feared the Lord and sought to obey him. Only Lot, his wife, and two daughters. This teaches us that God, in his mysterious weaving of his sovereign providential will and man's freedom, allows man the privilege and power of the prayer of faith that God consents to answer. God not only creates the gift of faith within the trusting heart, but allows man to influence him by means of prayer. This is an enormous encouragement for us to pray without ceasing, to continue to seek the Lord day by day and hour by hour that we may know him and live in continuous partnership with him. This is the wonderful project of the Christian life, to walk with God in his kingdom and to share in accomplishing his work in the world. This is the great privilege and freedom and opportunity and joy of every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want an amazing, productive, joyful life, get in step with God and cooperate with his will through you. As chapter 19 begins, we see the third part of the story unfolding before us. Abraham, the man of faith and trust in God, is juxtaposed with Lot, the worldly and disobedient man, and with Sodom, the place of wickedness and decay. The character sketch of Lot in this chapter is a frightening example of a failure to walk with God. Lot had abandoned the life of faith to live compromised, to live contaminated with the world, and the results are seen in these verses. 
Lot is hated by the people of Sodom. He has lost his peace and tranquility. He has lost his testimony, and he is utterly unable to influence his city in the way of righteousness. Sin has neutralized Lot's effectiveness as a follower of God, and he is paralyzed, disobedient, and unfruitful. His inner deterioration is vividly portrayed in his behavior when the men of Sodom surround his house and demand to have sex with the two men he had taken in for the night. The intent of these men, young and old together from every sector of the city, showed the reason why Sodom must be destroyed. Their evil intent was to commit homosexual gang rape upon two visitors under Lot's roof. Instead of standing up against this wicked mob, Lot offered up his two virgin daughters in verse 8, to do to them whatever you like. This is horrendous to contemplate. Even though Lot was bound to defend his guests and protect them from the sinful lust of the men of the city, yet he was so worldly-minded and compromised in sin that he was willing to sacrifice his own daughters to please the lusts of his neighbors. Lot was clearly on the road to perdition, and must be saved or completely overtaken by sin and cut off from God. The early church fathers persistently warn against seeking the praise or approval of others, because this one sin gives birth to a host of other sins. Paul is emphatic about the serious danger of seeking man's approval. He says in Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the favor of man or of God? Or am I striving to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Lot was still caught in the bondage of seeking the approval of those around him, and it led to his ruin. In verse 9, the lustful mob disregarded Lot's offer and pressed up against him at the door. But the men reached out from within the house grabbed Lot, pulled him inside, and shut the door. Then they struck the men at the door with blindness so that they could not find their way. The angels urged Lot to take his wife and two daughters and quickly leave the city to escape destruction. But Lot hesitated. His heart was still clinging to his earthly wealth and possessions, and he didn't want to leave them behind. God in his great mercy and love laid hold upon Lot and brought him out of the city crying, Escape for your life and do not look behind you. Do not stay anywhere in the valley but escape in safety to the mountains. Lot, still indifferent to the great compassion of the Lord toward him, pleads with God to let him escape to the little city of Zoar, not far from Sodom. Not even fire and brimstone will make a sojourning pilgrim out of Lot. He is still tied to this world and its distractions. To his misguided mind, he must have his little Sodom in order to have a convenient, comfortable, worldly life. Listening friend, learn the lesson of Lot. How a small sin indulged leads to more and more sin. 
Lot started out by lusting with his eyes after the green fertile valley next to Sodom. Then he moved closer to the city and finally moved into the city. Sin accumulates. It has an avalanche effect which grows greater and greater and results in destruction. If sin is not forsaken, it will lead to great suffering and wrong in the end. There is only one way to deal with sin, to run from it as fast as you can. Don't weigh sin. Don't consider it or wonder, maybe I'm strong enough to overcome this temptation. You are not. You are weak and susceptible as all men and women are. You must literally stand up and remove yourself from the room. You must do what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife grabbed him and tried to seduce him. He left his outer cloak in her hands and ran from the house. Whatever sin is before you, whatever it is that is luring you, a person, an entertainment, a substance, watching something with the eyes you know you shouldn't watch, whatever it is, you must quickly get up and remove yourself from the room, run away, and turn your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength to the Lord Jesus, begging for his help. So we see in verse 24 that God brought judgment upon Sodom. He rained fire and brimstone from heaven and utterly destroyed the city. Then in verses 30 to 38, we see the final result of the sins of a worldly man. After the fiery destruction of Sodom, Lot is filled with anxiety and dread and escapes to a cave in the mountain to hide. Instead of confessing his fears and guilt over his sins to the Lord, he drowns them in drinking. The two daughters of Lot both lie with him on successive nights when he was so intoxicated that he didn't remember what he was doing. Therefore, the decline of a worldly man ends with drunkenness, incest, and condemnation. What overarching lesson can be learned from these chapters? That walking with God brings the wonderful result of intimacy with Him, while indulging in worldliness and sin brings disaster. Walking with God is not a formula or a program. It is a personal, interactive relationship with God over many months and years. This daily relationship with God will change your inner attitude and emotions. It will open you to communications from God which guide and lead you into His will for each day. You will discover that God is acting in partnership with you and that the outcome of your little human efforts far exceeds anything you could humanly imagine. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G A U D E T E 
www.ministries.org. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.